Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. As I kind of mentioned, uh, I don't think I have a long message. I don't rehearse my messages, so I don't know. But not only is it kind of a short message, I'm getting started earlier than normal, so uh, we might be eating lunch at 10.30 today. We'll see. Tony Cook was, would you say? <laughs> Brunch, yes. Uh, Tony Cook was here last week, and if you missed it, please check out his morning and evening session. I think both of those are available uh, online. Um, they, were, they were just outstanding. I love Tony. I've loved Tony. He was one of my absolute favorite instructors at Rama uh, all those years ago, over 30 years ago, and I've loved his teaching ever since, but I honestly feel like this last week was some of the absolute best stuff he has ever shared with us. It was really energizing. It was really challenging. And I believe you will profit uh, from listening to that. Even if you were here, you'll profit from listening to it again. Before that, before he came, I had done a few messages uh, kind of about our eternal reward, including a rather sobering one on standing before Christ when he judges our works. And I'm not going to do a real recap of those messages, but at the risk of sounding self-promoting, I urge you to check those messages out as well. Uh, it's very, very important stuff. And today's message is kind of along those lines, uh, kind of along the lines of a practical application of some of that. And we'll continue this next week in, in one fashion or another, unless the Lord leads us a different direction. Um, remember, the scariest part of that hard message was the parable of the talents and how the master had returned. He gave them the talents, and the talents were money. That was, you know, we think of talents like singing and dancing and all this other stuff, our gifts and abilities. Uh, you know, not singing and dancing, but preaching and teaching and all this stuff. But uh, talents is a, is, a, is a good word because it helps us to see it that way. But they were talking about money. He gave them money to invest and do business with, business with while he went on a journey. And when he came back, he brought his servants together for an accounting of what he had given them and what they had done while he was gone. And two of them had doubled their money and one had done nothing with it. And this was the scary part. Uh, he, buried, he had buried the talent. He gave it to his master. And the master said what? He said, take that unprofitable servant and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And what grabbed me, and I know it grabbed many of you because you told me, is that the servant was not cast into outer darkness, which sure looks like it represents hell to me, because he was a murderer or what we might call a rank sinner, but because he was unprofitable. He had produced nothing. He had done nothing with what the master gave him. Now, we did talk the next week about true rewards um, and how the only things that we know of, the only things I know of, I can think of offhand anyway, that last forever are God, God's word, and other people. So we share God's word with other people, and ultimately we apply our talents, our gifts, what God gives us uh, toward the end of bringing people with us to heaven. So I guess I kind of did do a recap there after all. But 
Uh, I want to look at a couple of passages today that might help us at least begin to clarify what it is we should be doing, how we should go about pursuing the will of God in our lives so that what? So that we will be profitable. You know, it's super important, especially in light of those things we read, because I've had conversations where people, I mean, literally said it. They don't just imply it. And I believe there are a number of people that we all know. Maybe you would identify yourself as one of these people, at least in the past, where I'm really not trying to get on the first row of heaven. I don't care if I'm in the back row. I don't care if I just have some mean little corner of heaven. I just don't want to go to hell. But that's not really an option that we're given. That's never anything like what Jesus or any of the writers of the New Testament even offer up as a possibility. If you stand before Jesus with nothing other than, well, I asked you into my heart, and other than that you were unprofitable, hard as it is to receive, hard as it is to hear, Jesus said, take that unprofitable servant and cast him into outer darkness. And the question, well, are you talking about salvation by works? No, and I'm re-preaching a little bit of what I preached two weeks ago. It's genuine salvation always produces works. It's not, well, I said that prayer, now I've got to add works to it. No, if you got saved, something happens that causes you to begin, at least, to become profitable. And if that doesn't happen, the question is not, did I lose my salvation because I didn't work? The question is, did you get saved? 2 Peter, chapter 1. Uh, Part of this we have read already. I'm just going to give it a little more context and begin in verse 1. 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's he saying? I'm writing to believers. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our Lord, uh, and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which, we have been, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This, I'm going to stop there just long enough to say this is just another one of those beautiful passages of Scripture that talk about not you started acting different or you adopted a new belief system. He's saying that your very nature changed when you received your salvation. You, those of like precious faith, partakers of the divine nature. If you weren't reading it right there in Scripture, it would almost sound cult-like, wouldn't it? But that's the magnitude of the salvation we're dealing with. Verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, verse 8 is the, is the verse that's most pertinent to our consideration of this passage today. Neither barren nor unfruitful. In other words, you will not be unprofitable if these qualities are in you and abound. I wrestled years ago. I may have shared this recently. It's been a little bit of a blur. Uh, I've had a weird couple of weeks. But uh, I wrestled years ago, going through verses 5 through 7 there, trying to see them as a hierarchy, all right, and build a teaching on it. And it may be a hierarchy. You know, you start with faith, and then you add this, you add this, and this, but you've got to get this first. And it might be, but I, uh, I really can't see it that way. And I honestly don't believe that's what Peter's uh, getting at here. Just that we need to constantly be growing in grace, growing in these qualities, and being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Because the more like Christ we become, the more we attract people to Christ through our lives. Now, there's a qualifier there. That doesn't work for everybody. Let me read this out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. Now next week, I may preach a sermon that goes clear back to my youth pastor days called, What Does God Smell Like? Uh, for now, though, the whole point here is that Jesus, his character and presence in our lives is going to be attractive to some, and it's going to be offensive to others. He's saying that God, you know, when, we, uh, when we're saved, he manifests, the, he calls it the fragrance, the aroma of Christ. And what's Jesus smell like? He smells like Jesus. But some people like that smell, and some people hate it. And so, we can be utterly like Jesus, and that itself is not going to win people over. Some people are just not going to be won over, but we shouldn't be surprised by that because Jesus himself faced that. The multitudes, by and large, were very much attracted to him. That's why they were called multitudes. They thronged to hear his teaching and to receive from him. The Jewish authorities found him offensive and dangerous. The Romans more or less ignored him until they were backed into a corner by the Jewish authorities and had to deal with him. But Peter's emphasis here is that Christian character, not giftings, but Christian character produces godly fruit in our lives and in our ministry. And we come again to the question, what is my ministry? Do I really have a ministry? Now I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2. And again, I'm leading up to one important verse, but I want you to see it in context. So we're going to begin in verse 1. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, there it is again, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, listen to this, by nature children of wrath just as the others. We were all at one point children of wrath by nature. And because that was our nature, what did we do? We went about just the way the world did, and, and all of our efforts ultimately were aimed toward fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together. Listen, made us alive together with Christ. Raised us up together. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh my, there is so much stuff, so much good stuff in that passage. Remember, Paul is writing this under the influence of the Holy Spirit, of course. The Holy Spirit is breathing this letter through Paul to the church in Ephesus, which was, as far as we know, a very mature church spiritually. They were grown-ups. He's saying, he is speaking spiritual things, in this case, to spiritual people, like he wanted to do in Corinth. We read that several times over the course of the last few weeks. He wanted to share some of these deeper spiritual truths with the Corinthians, but they were babies. They refused to grow up. They were too carnal to receive it. But wow, he really lays it out here, doesn't he? You were dead, dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive. This is his doing. You were saved by grace through faith. And when he says that, and that not of yourselves, what he's saying here is, even the faith you can't take credit for. God has given to every man a measure of faith, enough of a measure of faith to at least respond to the grace he offers in salvation. So you're saved by grace. Well, how do I access the grace? By faith. So it is me. No, God gave you the faith too. You can't even take credit for that. It's, but it's certainly not by works. But here's what concerns us today. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you have a ministry? Does God have a plan for your life? You better believe it. God prepared a lifetime of good works for you to do, good works for you to walk in, even before you were saved. Good works that God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Now, we talked about this a while back when we focused on the truth that every Christian is a minister. But let me make it clear again. And you know this. Not everyone is called into uh, what we call full-time ministry, but is more properly termed occupational ministry. Not everyone is called to pastor a church. Not everyone is called to be a full-time missionary. Not everybody is called to be on church staff. But God has still prepared a lifetime of good works for you to do in your sphere of influence. 
Look at 2 Peter again. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. These are all character traits. They're not specific acts of ministry. They're not gifts. There's nothing in there about preaching, teaching, evangelizing, prophesying, right? But God tells us through the Apostle Peter that if these things abound, we will not be unfruitful. We will be profitable. Do you see how important that is? I'm getting a little out of order because I think there's something about this in my notes later, but let me just interrupt myself at the risk of repeating myself a little bit later and say that there are, I have known them. I've known some of them well. And you probably have too. There are ministers, gifted men and women of God, who God has used mightily, uh, who have influenced hundreds, thousands, tens, perhaps hundreds of thousands of lives with, their, with the extraordinary gifts that they have to teach, to lead, uh, to flow in the gifts, whatever. Uh, but who, anybody who could tell you on their staff would tell you they could be monstrous in their day-to-day behavior and their dealings with staff. They could be mean. They can be abusive. And their attitude, and again, this isn't theoretical. I have seen and heard this stuff. I have been close to this stuff. I pray to God I have never been this stuff. But their attitude is, I can't be bothered with spending a lot of time trying to be nice. My ministry is too important. And if you're on my staff, your job is to serve me, make my job easier, and there's a truth to that. Okay, if you're called to serve in another man's ministry, you serve in that man's ministry or that woman's ministry, and you do what they tell you to do. It's called submission and authority. You'll stand before God based on how you respond to that and how you fulfill that. But they will stand before God for how they treat you. They don't get a pass because they're the boss, because they're a big name, or even because they got a million people saved. These traits need to abound in every Christian. How about the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the, these, this is, you couple those things with what, uh, what Peter is talking about here. Brotherly kindness, love, self-control, knowledge, virtue. He's not talking about, he's not even talking here about boldness. He's talking about being the kind of people that people aren't afraid of or offended by. If somebody is offended at me, And because of that, it puts them off of Jesus to an extent I have to answer for that. Now, again, some people are going to be offended just because of the truth you speak. It makes it, we've got a, it's a hard enough row to hoe as it is. Don't make it harder by being a jerk. Okay? That's in scripture somewhere. I just didn't look it up. Listen. There's a couple other remarks from Peter that will bear this out. Uh, One we looked at at length a couple of weeks ago, 1 Peter 2, uh, beginning in verse 11. 
Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Preached a message on that, so I'm not going to preach it again. But again, it's not your preaching or your prophesying. It's your conduct and your character that is going to bring them to the point of deciding for Christ. 1 Peter 3 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Verse 15, there is a favorite verse of apologists. Because it means apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith, being able to give an answer, is the job of every Christian, every believer. But once again, that doesn't mean that every believer is called to travel to college campuses and debate atheists on a stage, or even star, uh, start, in a, uh, uh, start a YouTube channel where you take these things on. Uh, everyone is called to give an answer when they're asked. And it says, yet with meekness, and fear. A better translation might be with gentleness and reverence, with respect. I mentioned YouTube channels, and, and I love, I, you, know, you know, the internet is a double-edged sword, as I've said a thousand times, social media, uh, and, uh, and YouTube and all this stuff. There's all sorts of poisonous stuff out there, but on the other hand, we've got more resources at our fingertips than, than you, we could have imagined 10 years ago. Uh, and so it's easy. You, you got a theological question? Type it in. Type it in the internet. Type it in YouTube. There's probably somebody talking about it. But just because somebody's talking about it doesn't mean they have truth. But here's the other thing. I have seen it way too many times, these hotheads on there that just get on there. They're all cocky. They're, they're borderline mean. Even though what they're saying might be theologically correct, all they are getting, all they're aiming for, I think, is likes. Because all they're getting is a bunch of amens from the amen corner. They're preaching to the choir and the fanboys. They're not converting anybody. They're certainly not converting anybody to Christ. They're not winning anybody, but they're winning arguments. And that can't be what we're about. When we give an answer, we need to do it with gentleness and reverence because what's our goal? Our goal is to be like Christ. And what was his goal? Well, he showed us when he went to the cross... He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, which is to bring those people, including you and me, back into right relationship with God the Father. You're not going to do that uh, effectively just by winning arguments. But you do need to have an answer. And anyway, I think when we are talking about bringing somebody to the point of conversion and then ultimately discipleship. That's always accomplished much more effectively in the context of relationships. Anyway, let me start to wrap this up. When Tony was here last week, he made reference to uh, Jesus when he talked about the sheep and the goats. I've heard that a hundred times if I've heard it once. And most of you have too. And somehow something just 
penetrated my brain last week. And it's nothing new. It's nothing you don't know. It just hit me in a new way or a more powerful way. And it's in Matthew 25, and I'm not going to read it, but you can and you should later because, again, it's very, very familiar, and this is not a detailed teaching on it. There are a lot of questions. There's a lot of stuff to unpack here, and we may do that someday soon. That I'm not promising. I, I will preach the what's God smell like soon, possibly next week, but I don't know when I'll do it full-on teaching of the sheep and the goats. All I want us to see this morning is that when Jesus separates the sheep and the goats, this, is why, this represents him sitting in judgment over the nations. And what does he do? He recalls their works, their deeds. You fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me when I was sick and in prison. You invited me in. And the sheep say, when did we ever do that for you? And what did Jesus say? Inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now really quick, because this is not the primary focus of this sermon, but I happen to believe there's something, there, there's some significance to the my brethren here. And don't get me wrong. Uh, but people in the world, they talk about how we are all brothers. Uh, the brotherhood of man. And there's only an element of truth to that. Uh, you know, well, we're all children of God. How many times have you heard that? But what did Jesus say? He flat out told some people, you are of your father, the devil. So we ain't all children of God. But the dignity of human life still requires that we do what we can to alleviate suffering, elevate the life of everyone we can, anyone we can. When, the, when it's in our hand to do good, we should do it. But Paul put it this way. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, he simply says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now I bring that up, and I've talked about it before. You know, there, there's... I, I can't think of a church in the world that has unlimited resources. And when you get a call, and we still do, we've had a couple of kind of surprising ones and just in the last couple of weeks. Sometimes we'll go months without hearing from somebody, without anybody stopping in. But, you know, somebody calling saying, well, I, uh, I can't pay my power bill. I can't pay my rent. Can you help me? And sometimes they get a little belligerent if you can't. And I get a little bit, I get my back up a little bit. I'm like, what do you think? The church owes you. Because I'm talking about unchurched people. I know it sounds petty, and it probably is a little bit, but do you understand what I'm talking about? We have limited resources, and we have a benevolence fund. We do have resources, but, and Paul's not saying never help anybody else. He's saying, as you have opportunity, let's do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. What's he saying? Our priority is to take care of one another. I'm not going to go down that road very far. I can, I just, when people, when people call and ask and say, well, thanks anyway, that's one thing. But if it's another thing and they say, well, what's the church for? I want to preach them a sermon. Well, the church is to grow people up spiritually and uh, to assist them in, in conforming to the likeness of Jesus Christ. I want to say, what, what made you call a church? Why don't you belong to a church? Why aren't you in partnership with a, with, with a body of believers who are already willing to help you out because they know you and they're familiar with your circumstances? 
Anyway, James says this, to the one who knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. The point is this, we are called to be profitable servants. And the ultimate manifestation of that profitability is our role in bringing others to Christ. And the Word of God makes it clear, just through some of the passages we read today, that if we are, uh, that even if we're not the ones to lead them in a prayer of repentance, our conduct and our character are crucial links in the process that bring them to that decision. You catch that? Even if you are not the one giving the altar call, if you're not the one that has the privilege of praying with them as they give their lives to Christ, your conduct and your character have provided a crucial link in bringing somebody to that decision. You can ask this, how can I serve? If I'm supposed to serve God wholeheartedly, give my life to him, how can I practically do that working a 10-hour shift at Walmart? And the answer is, you do your job at Walmart exactly as you would if Jesus were the on-site manager or the president of the company. When you are on company time, you make it your aim to do everything you can to make that company profitable. Have you ever been, I know you have, practically everybody, you ever been to a store or maybe a gas station, convenience store, got to use the restroom? And maybe they've got some cool stuff in the store. Maybe the store looks clean, but the bathroom is so gross, you swear you will never go into that business again. There was a quick trip. We always hit it. We always made this one stop on uh, Bowles Avenue where, where we stopped there because there was a Krispy Kreme. Uh, stopped there on the way to Tulsa every time. And there was a beautiful, great big quick trip store, big convenience store, and they had everything. They had all the hot foods and every drink you could imagine, coffee bar, hot chocolate bar, all this other stuff, and the cleanest bathrooms for 500 miles. And you could eat off the floor. I did several times. Just, no, I didn't. But, I mean, it was, just, it was a joy to go in there and everything smelled good, everything looked good, and you would see people. It, it wasn't rare, even if you're only stopping for a few minutes, it wasn't rare to see somebody going around mopping stuff up and not leaving puddles. They took pride, or they took it seriously, making this a place people wanted to go to. That's the kind of people we ought to be, but we ought to be doing it, all those things, because of who we ultimately serve. Two final passages uh, from Colossians here. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Here we go again. Isn't it interesting, these, char these characteristics and these qualities that keep coming up, a slightly different wording. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, 
do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Skip down a few verses to verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. It is awesome to think. And I guess I, I cannot explain why it hit me different when Tony just sort of, because he didn't dwell on it for very long. When he talked about that, you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. He didn't say, it honors me when you serve the least of these. He didn't say, it pleases me when you give a drink of water to somebody who's thirsty. He said, when you do that, you're giving me a drink of water. And how many of you wouldn't do that? How many of you wouldn't trip over yourself if the Lord Jesus Christ walked up here right now and said, <clears throat> little thirsty? How many of you wouldn't trip over yourselves to get up there and give him your water, your last drop, your last swallow? How many of you, if he said, uh, I'm a little peckish, would anybody mind taking me to dinner? Is there a hand in here that wouldn't go up? I need a place to sleep tonight. Don't need much, just a couch. Anybody that wouldn't invite him in. And he's saying, this, and it'd be an awesome thing. What an awesome privilege to serve him. And he's saying, you've got that opportunity. All you've got to do is do the same thing to the least of these, my brethren. You want to serve me? Because I skipped over some stuff here. We'll look at it. It'll come up again soon. I know it will. Uh, talking about servants and masters. It's really talking about employees and employers. You serve your boss like your boss was Jesus, even if he doesn't act like Jesus. And your conduct is going to have an impact on him. It's going to have an impact on your fellow servants, your fellow employees. And this is what's important. Praise and worship team, you can slowly be making your way up here. The trick, I think, when we talk about our ministries and getting involved and having an impact, if we take it seriously, there, there, there's two equal and opposite errors, uh, and probably more, more than two. But one is we don't take it seriously. We're like, I never signed on to be in the ministry. I'm not going to do anything again. I, don't even, I, I, I use this term an awful lot for somebody who says he doesn't really like it because I don't like the distinction. But it's, I'm not going to participate in any rank sin. I'm not going to cheat on my wife. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to kill. But uh, I've got more important things to do than help build the church. And no, you don't. Not as a believer. I'm not talking about Living Word Fellowship and the building. I'm talking about the church. Although I guess I am talking about Living Word Fellowship because the church is an assembly. It's local. It's visible. But the body of Christ, our, our number one purpose, all of us as believers, needs to be about the business of heaven. And many Christians are like, I don't want any of that. I just want to be saved. And maybe at the other extreme is, I don't really feel like I'm serving God, like I can do it wholeheartedly unless that's my job. If I'm going to serve wholeheartedly, I better get some recognition for it. I better have a staff position. I better be recognized. And that's not doing it as unto the Lord. 
We need to be utterly convinced that God is the one who sees it. And when we do it for one another, for the least of these, for the pastor, for the church at large, we are doing it for Jesus and he really will. He is coming, what's it say? And his reward is in his hand. I'm thinking right now, they are certainly not the only two. This is a church that is full of profitable servants. But I'm thinking right now of two women who lived like that. Linda Kramer and Eric Uskali. We've got five of Linda's family joining us here today. Good to have you with us. And Linda served faithfully and humbly for many years as a member of this church and many years as a valued member of the team at Restoration Urban Ministries. As far as I know, she never sought out a pulpit ministry. Be kind of fun to picture. She never sought out a name for herself. But she came to be highly regarded because of what she did for Jesus and what she did for that ministry. She's one of countless women and men who are remembered fondly and considered to be models of Christianity, not because of worldwide name recognition, but because of their stability, their steadfastness, their faithfulness. For their character that was consistent with all these attributes that Peter and Paul write about. Now, it's not up to me. I don't get to make the final judgment. But my guess is, great is Linda's reward. Erica was not on staff at Living Word Family Church. She was busy with a job that demanded a lot from her, including a lot of travel. But she served faithfully. Most of us know that she was a member of the praise and worship team. But she also ran VBS uh, once or twice. She, led a, uh, she and Tim led a small group. And she was just always a an energetic and involved presence in whatever the church was doing. I've heard leaders say over the years that if you want to, if you get an idea, if you're afraid you're getting an inflated idea of your importance, self-importance, you start thinking you're a little bit too vital he says, stick your arm in a bucket of water and pull it out as fast as you can and see how big a hole it leaves to get an idea of how important you really are. Now, I think that's a useful illustration for leaders. I think it is a dangerous idea if we think this ministry can't survive without me, if any of us think that. Where I disagree with that illustration is when you lose somebody like Linda, when you lose somebody like Erica, it leaves a hole. Leaves a wound. There's healing. But there's scars. And that's okay. Again, it's not my call. But if I'm looking at Erica, I have to, I have to believe great is her reward. Here's my question. And stand with me. You've been sitting a little while. 
What are you aiming for? What are you aiming for? You want to be saved. You better want to be saved. So how do I know if I need saved? Here's an easy way to tell. Have you ever been saved? Have you ever committed, personally committed your life to Jesus Christ knowing that this was the only way to heaven, that your only hope was to do that? If you've never done that, then you need to. How do you know? Just what we just read. We were all, by nature, children of wrath. We're born that way. We were born with those proclivities. We were born with that sin nature that inevitably leads us to pursuing the lusts of the flesh. And it's only the work of God that can rescue us from that. Now, I know most of you have made that decision. Maybe everybody in this room has made that decision. So then my question is, what are you aiming at? You better get busy discovering this path, this lifetime of good works that God prepared for you. You can't go to him and say, oh, I couldn't find anything. I just couldn't find anything what to do. He's like, are you kidding me? I prepared, that, I prepared that, those good works before I even saved you. Well, what are they? We just read them. What are you talking about? I'm talking about getting into the word and developing that Christ-like character. You will find that if your focus is not, should I go to this place and pursue this degree? Should I go to this place and pursue this ministry? If what you're focusing on is rather, what can I do today to be more Christ-like? How can I be more Christ-like to my coworker, my boss, my neighbor, my family? Then you will find yourself sliding into those positions and your desires are being formed and shaped by God himself to point you in the right direction for the next step. He has a lifetime of good works that he prepared beforehand. He's not going to show you every one of those right off the bat. The word of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. You don't get to see the whole course. You keep walking it and it's revealed as you walk it. But let's get serious about that. Amen? Let's decide we're going to pursue that because nothing is more important and life is short. We're going to sing a song. We got a song? I'm going to pray. And as soon as I'm done praying, we as a congregation will sing. If you need to make that initial commitment, say, Scott, I'll be honest. I mean, I know I, I know kind of what the Bible is. I know kind of who God is, who Jesus is, but I've never personally acknowledged that my wretchedness means that I need a Savior. I need to be saved, and I want to put Jesus in charge of my life. I want you to make that decision today, and I want you to make it by just walking up here and letting me pray with you. I'm not going to stop the music. I'm not going to do it in a microphone. I'm just going to pray with you. The importance of you coming up here is that it is a public profession of your faith. Most of us in here who have gotten saved, got saved that way. It's not secret. It's personal, but it's not private, right? And if you want to come up here, as always, saying, I've never really doubted my salvation, but uh, yeah, I've never really pursued God's path for my life. And you want to decide to start doing that today, it's never too late. He's still got that plan for you. You might, and, and he is the only God, the God of time is the only one that can redeem the time that you've wasted. So let him. I would invite you to come up here. I'd be glad to pray with you. You can kneel at the altar. You can pray that from your seat. But again, sometimes if you're going to make a commitment, it helps to do something physical to represent that commitment. Heavenly Father, 
thank you for your word. Thank you for the good works that you have planned for us. For creating us for good works. Thank you for the clarity of your word, Lord God, for reminding us that we don't get saved by works, but we are saved for works, that you have a plan for us to do here and now, not just to go, go to heaven someday. So open our eyes to the opportunities that surround us day by day to exhibit these characteristics. Continue to conform us to the image of your Son, as he draws people to himself through us. And Father, it's my prayer, and I know it's the prayer of every genuine believer in this room, that if there's anybody in here who does not know you as Father, does not know Jesus as Savior, that they would come to know you today. That you would do what only you can do and convict the sinner of their need for salvation and grant them the desire to receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you come. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.